that. Precisely. All right. Uh, we're doing First John, Lesson 7. The word is no. And the blessing. Blessed are you, Adonai our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commands, command us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and in the mouth of your people, the family of Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people Israel. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who selected us from all the peoples and gave to us his Torah. Blessed are you, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen. Amen. Um, we have a slight uh, alteration to our normal rules of engagement, uh, namely because I suspect that some people didn't get to their homework because they didn't know it was available or whatever. Uh, or because of the holiday. No, no. It's because of the, it was because of the holiday. Um, so, please, if you... Uh, hello, shalom. If you have a uh, comment, please uh, feel free to speak up. Okay. Last lesson, we learned that it's impossible to love God unless you fear Him. Uh, Joshua Nunez's uh, lesson... Two weeks ago, actually, really, I thought, dovetailed well with this. Um, we learned that love is always evidenced by obedience. Uh, you cannot find the word love in the scriptures without a uh, something nearby talking about obeying God. We also learned that the definition of love is found in the Torah. And those that think they can claim a higher standard of love and reject the Torah are only fooling themselves. We often hear, listen, we have a new standard now. A new law. They, they can quote the scripture that says, a new commandment I have I given you. That you love one another as I've loved you. This is Yeshua's words in, in the Gospel of John. And they say this is the new standard. So, uh, pig, okay, as long as you love your brother. And what we discover is you cannot know love the definition of love is the Torah commandments themselves. So, you can't say, I love my brother, and disobey the commandments. You can't. Funny thing, that's what John says in 1 John. One of John's main purposes in writing 1 John, as we saw earlier, months and months ago, was to encourage a reader to know Ironically, most of the classical presentations of 1 John, this cracks me up, when, when normally, normal traditional Christianity looks at the gospel of 1 John, they recognize that 1 John has some, it, it, it seems to be an apologetics course against Gnosticism. Ironically, they take this word no and spread it out into its many Greek versions of the word no and study essentially, in the method and means of Gnosticism. And that's how you learn what the word no means. Uh, it, it's a Gnostic meaning. Gnostic comes from knowledge. That makes perfect sense. The irony is that the, 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 neo, uh, the Neoplatonists that reads this book doesn't think of themselves as the Gnostic. Most traditional theologians read this book. They don't think of themselves as Gnostic. Well, of course not. I'm not Gnostic. 
I mean, I know that the little people can't get this unless they've studied, but I'll tell them what to know. (laughs) That's Gnosticism. (laughs) Come in, come in. We were just talking about you. It was good. But it was good. It was very good. It wasn't the Gnosticism. It wasn't the Gnosticism part, no. (laughs) What we need to know is that it's not a spiritual knowledge that we're talking about. It's not a it's not a head knowledge, heart knowledge. I mean, it's nothing like any of that. It's a knowledge of relationship, which is actually so simple that we step right past it oftentimes. Let's dig in. John 5, 13 through 15 says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. This is the boldness which we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he listens to us. And if we know that he listens to us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions which we have asked of him. 1 John 5, 13 through 15. Listen to this from the Zohar. Commentary on the book of Genesis. When Israel left Egypt, they were devoid of all knowledge of God. Excuse me. When Israel left Egypt, they were devoid of all knowledge until God made them taste the bread of the earth called Eretz, that is the earth, of which it says, As for the Eretz, the earth, bread cometh of it. Then Israel began to know and to recognize God. What is he talking about there? Manna. Manna. They didn't know God until they tasted the manna. They were not talking some weird form of transubstantiation here. Something about eating the manna caused them to know God. Hmm. Then Israel began to know and recognize God. God, however, desired that they should also that know also of that place, which is the fitting counterpart of this earth. But they were not able to do so until they tasted the bread from that place, to wit heaven. As it says, I will cause rain, I will cause rain bread. I will cause to rain bread from heaven for you. It was only then that they attained to a knowledge and a vision of that realm. Hmm. Platonism and Gnosticism. As we talked about, there are many words, and I've done this. It is actually, it's not a bad study. Look in the apostolic scriptures, the Greek text, and find out how many different words for no there are. They are very unique in their definition. Yeah. And uh, do a word study on it. It's, it's excellent. It's wonderful. Is the Tanakh written in Greek? No. Was the Torah written in Greek? Well, the Septuagint, yes. And actually, there are different forms of the word no in the Septuagint. It's a much more refined language, Greek. You can get the little nuances, whatever. But what would you say in Hebrew? Yada. Yada. So, yada, yada, yada. Uh, now you know where it comes from. So, uh, so what does, so, no, no, yada, what is that? I mean, it's like, what do we use that for? Like, everything? <laughs> like, everything? But most importantly, it's intimate relationships, right? Interesting. Well, does that disturb you a little bit? The idea that food somehow gives you a knowledge of something or a culture or something like that? Food? 
that it? Nothing. Look, I eat Thai. I understand the Thai people. Yes. Here's here's the really funny thing. If you bring this topic up, I'm um, food, not knowledge, just food. Bring the topic up in most good conservative religious groups, they will say that God doesn't care what we eat. Of course, some of them are very strict in their diets because they either don't want to gain weight or they have they believe that it's bad to eat certain certain things such as uh, uh, hormones or whatever else. So they, they're very strict and don't let their children eat that thing either because that might hurt them or, you know, they might go through puberty at age five instead of, you know, at the normal age. All of those things, and it very, may be, very well may be true. The problem is that they still say God doesn't care about what we eat. It's almost like intentional rebellion. God doesn't care about what we eat. Wait about, the garden, that was about food, wasn't it? That's interesting. How important is food to this discussion? Always over a meal. Why? What is it about it's food? Table it's table fellowship. It's it's just simple, guys. We 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 create not we, but some people create theologies of transubstantiation or whatever else to somehow explain this relationship to food. It's simple. I eat, I live. Even Yeshua, after he rose, they didn't recognize him. In one of the occasions, I thought he broke, broke the bread. bread. How cool is that? Yeah. You know, we can explain all various reasons why, but the food relationship is very important. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, no, here's, here's one of the things Joshua and I were talking earlier. Uh, if any group that defines its covenant boundaries, its group identification with concepts, has a problem. If you're, give you an example. What is it to be an American? Okay, uh, that's, that's valid. Uh, it's actually a birth certificate says that I was born here or a naturalization certificate that says that I have earned my citizenship. That is what it means to be American. Everything else is conceptual. Everything. I mean, we can talk about it, We can get all puffed up and proud about it, but the fact is, that's the only definition for American. There's good Americans and bad Americans, but that's the definition for American, right? So it's, it's not about in, any group that defines itself with concepts. Listen, do you believe such and such and this and that? And are you willing to always do such and such and th- this in front of the whole congregation? Will you stand up and espouse to such and such and this? Those are concepts. And everybody goes, yeah, well, sure, I believe that. I believe that. I believe that. And I believe that. What difference does it make? When you define who you are with concepts, that is a form of Neoplatonism. Because what you're saying is you're saying the reality is not what I see and touch and smell. The reality is some, there's a high reality. All I have is the shadows here. That's Platonism. All I have is the shadows here and I can't know the true forms and without at least stepping beyond my 
mundane life, getting beyond the nasty things about worrying about what I eat and what I wear, you know, that's just mundane. I need to be at a higher plane. I need to think good thoughts. That's Neoplatonism. Plato's cave is the perfect example, his analogy, where it, it wasn't until you come out and step into the sunlight that you can finally see the, sh- the forms that were casting those shadows. You're so much wiser now. You need someone to teach you how to get out of the cave so you can see the forms in their glory as they are. A higher knowledge. Seminary will help. It won't get you there, but it'll get you very close. Now, this is, this is the problem is that the explanation of the book of 1 John, which was indeed written to counter some early Gnosticisms, can't be from a Gnostic perspective. So when we look at the word no, we can't say... Is that a head knowledge or a heart knowledge? That's a stupid question. I've never heard of such a thing. A head knowledge? What's a head knowledge? What's a heart knowledge? My heart doesn't know squat. Christianity has made it all... There's a lot of good things, by the way. One of the things we talked about, Christianity has done really good. How is Christianity known best? Best. Not most common way of it's known. It's best markers. Which one? No, no, that's, that's maybe the way they're known best, but is that the best way they're known? Caring for others. Caring for widows and orphans. That's a Torah concept. That's a Torah concept. What else? What's more than a concept? It's a Torah Excuse me. Joshua corrected my Neoplatonism. It's a commandment. Do it. What else? How is that love expressed? That's, we're not talking about, well, we all feel like we love each other, and it's great, we hold our hands up together, which is great, don't misunderstand, but the point is, that is not love. You know, we worship together. No, that's not love either. How you worship, that you worship together, is not love. Sending, sending missionaries. Sending missionaries. Outreach. Yeah. Yeah. Caring for poor. That, those are... Is, is Now, Christianity in this day and age has is, is moved away from this. Postmodern Christianity is different from when I was growing up. But when I was growing up, it's like we don't smoke, we don't chew, and we don't go with girls that do. Right? <laughs> Which one of those is a Torah commandment? Go with girls. No, even a go with girls that do don't. <laughs> you almost caught me. <laughs> it's not about statements of faith. It's not about statements of faith. It's about action. Again, having your identification tied up in what you do is definable. Why is that important? Because some of the things that John told us that we can know certainly that you can't know if it's all about concepts or beliefs. What we know. Let's look at them. 1 John one twenty four says... You're a liar if you say, I know him, and don't keep his commandments. Somebody got that handy? The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. That's pretty stark. That's like a... There's no way around it. 
First John 2, 5. Who has that one? But whoever keeps his word, God's love has most certainly been perfected in him. This is how we know that we are in him. You can know you're in him if you keep his word. What is his word? When, you know, forget about, I keep his Bible. I carry it everywhere I go. Is that what it means to keep his word? If we were to take that back to the Hebrew, what would the word keep mean? Guard. Guard. Actually, uh, I am what you call, and I hope you are too, a Shomer Shabbos. Shomer comes from Shamar, which means I guard. I observe the Sabbath. So the word observant actually is a biblical word in this sense. It means I do it. I keep what God says. That's it. So when I keep his word, I do it. That's not a concept. You can't, you can't explain that away as a concept, right? It's like, well, I hold it in my heart. You know? Just like I, I hide his word in my heart. Just like David said. You know? I wish, I wish as a child that I had learned all of Psalm 119. But he, he hides his word in his heart that he may not sin against him. And he goes on to say, as he, that he may do it. Somebody over here was. Yeah, sorry. The, the translation here actually uh, it says if someone keeps doing what he says. So keeps doing, and that's good because what we what we discovered is early on when we were doing First John was a lot of the verb tenses were maybe not intentionally, but in order for the English to flow better, are twisted and somehow moved away. The word, the present tense, is very important in this book. Keeps on doing it. Yeah. What was that? Okay, what was 2 6 say? It just says that the one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. In other words, um, you can't say that you are in God, you can't say that you're consistent in relationship with him if you're not doing the things that he's doing. We, we talked about this earlier with Parr's no goes, it seems like John is really pushing more of an experiential no than an expressive no. I want to catch, pick this up in the mic. It's not about. <laughs> It's not about, I tell God, I know you, I love you, I understand you. That's part of the relationship. I believe in you. That's part of the relationship, but the, but the most crucial form, or at least one of the most crucial forms here, is, is doing what he does. You know, I, not only do I know about God, but I intimately know about him because, or I know him, because I act like he acts. That's, an, that's a knowledge that's, you know, it's like a son who wants to copy his father. He wants to do exactly what dad does. Exactly. By the way, I have, a, I have a really cool picture of Joshua, too, with my shoes on and my airline pilot hat on. It didn't fit him. It's, it's kind of like getting married and then moving like halfway across the world and only speaking to your wife over the phone. Like That, is, <laughs> that doesn't work. You yeah. have to, in order to know your wife, you have to be with her all the time. You have to experience yeah, everything to together. Good. Yeah, exactly. And you get to know her better when you start doing things that she does. When when your personal actions start to mirror each other, that's when that knowledge becomes truly intimate. That's where you go to the concert. Most Actually, you go to opera instead of going to the football game, right? <laughs> but seriously, seriously, though, I mean, all kidding aside, would you not know your wife better if, that were, if that's what you're constant actions were what did what she do that's what I want to do that's pretty we're not
dressing like her, but we're talking about doing the things that she does. Yeah. Very good. Excellent. Uh, go to uh, 1 John 2, uh, 13 through 14. Gotcha. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. Have, Excuse me. Is it going to 14? Uh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, okay. Uh, I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Ask a child, especially a small child, toddler, do you know your daddy? I mean, they're kind of like, yeah, <laughs> you know? I mean, that's a concept they don't even get because it's not a concept. They know daddy because he picks me up, he feeds me sometimes, changes my diaper rarely, but he does. Um, <laughs> uh, he attends to me. If I cry, he picks me up. He tries to calm me down. He tries to make me feel better. How do I know my dad? Because he responds to me. How do I know my dad? Because I imitate him, right? First John two eighteen. Something else you can know. How do you know when you're in the last hour? Children, it's the last hour, and just as you heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have appeared. From this, we know that it's the last hour. So you can know it's the last hour by the fact that they are antichrists, anti-messiahs, people who are opposed to the messianic message. What is the messianic message? People opposed to the very person of the messiah. What is it? A seed, a people, and a land. The seed is messiah himself. The land is his kingdom. And the people are his people. That is the the gospel. Anybody that's opposed to that is anti-Messiah. And we all have a tendency towards it. Especially in this culture. Yeah. Uh, 1 John 2.29 If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. And that's the present tense again. Keeps on practicing righteousness. What is it to practice righteousness? We're not talking about imputed righteousness. Well, I believe and I get this cool righteous cloak I put on. And then it's just as if I never sinned. That's justify, right? I'm just as if I never sinned when I stand before the judge. Sadly, it is to do righteousness. And in fact, in, in Deuteronomy 6, it actually says that. It says, if you are careful to do all that I command you, it will be righteousness for you. Boy, that's a really uncomfortable phrase, but it's true. Righteousness is what you do. I mean, it actually, if you, look it up in the, if you look it up in the dictionary, it actually is what you do. We've made it into a theological word to soften that and somehow push it away. To do righteous deeds. To do righteous deeds is righteousness. Yes. What's wickedness? To do things that are not righteous. Breaking a commandment is wickedness. We usually reserve that for the most, you know, heinous. heinous of things. Wickedness is to break a commandment of God. It's not hard to keep His commandments, and it's not hard to break them. 
So, it's like every day you're choosing righteousness or wickedness. All day long. A bunch of little decisions. Righteousness, wickedness, righteousness. Which one will I go? Which walk will I have? He says, practice righteousness. So it's a persistence, a lifestyle, an ongoing. It doesn't say that you are perfect. We're not talking about being sinless. Although you may be perfect, you may not be sinless. Perfection implies that you're moving towards maturity. Whereas sinless means that you have attained the impossible. (laughs) That's right. Uh, 1 John 2... uh, Excuse me, 3 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. So, the negative what do we know? What do we not know? We, we, the world does not know us. Why? Because it didn't know Him. What is the second largest religion in the world? Christianity. Christianity. The world doesn't know him? I mean, ask anybody the definition of Christianity. They can, they, can, they can rough it out pretty good. Anybody. Really. The world doesn't know him? But if you think about it, the world, maybe in modern American slang, a simpler way to describe that would be the world doesn't get us because it didn't get him. In other words, he doesn't understand what believers are, what they do, and why it's important to them, because it doesn't see it in the context of why it's important to God. I mean, if you, if you don't think about, if you don't care what God thinks, then why would it impress you at all that anyone would ever want to do anything that he wants to do? You see, those are all, those are all I'm going to pick on you now, those are all concepts of acceptance or logic or uh, uh, feeling knowledgeable or whatever else, but that's not what this is talking about. It's saying it didn't know him because it didn't it didn't imitate him. It's not that they don't know about him. They know about uh, see we have to add another word in there. I just want to say uh, to Joshua's point, scripture says that the carnal minded is enmity against the law of God. Incapable Incapable. Why is it incapable? Is it because it's it's just so damaged? I mean I you know Wonderful things about Calvinism, but is that it? Is it just because the human mind, uh, the human experience is just so damaged we can't know God? Is that what it is? We're totally depraved. We are. Is that it? It It rejects relationship with God. Why? Man does not want to do what God said. It's the garden all over again. That's all it is. It's too simple. It's way too simple. We want to make it some grand and theological and explainable deep subject. And it's just quite simple. People don't want to do what God said. That's why they say, no, I won't do that. And they explain it away by, that's not my belief. And, no, I found a different God. Or whatever. Right? I'll make my own God. Because that God lets me do what I want. It's all, it's very simple. We don't want, human beings don't want to do what God said. So, the world doesn't know him because, uh, excuse me, uh, the world does not know us. It didn't know him. It didn't know him because it chose not to obey him. So how could it possibly understand people who want to obey him? Is that a relationship? It's no relationship. It's not even understand. It's a step beyond that. Well, it's a step closer. Uh, <laughs> 
All right, uh, three six. Oops, I skipped. I went too fast. Three six. First John three six. No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has, has either seen Him or known Him. Definition of sin is what? Lawlessness. Lawlessness, which is what? Violation of the Torah commandments. Okay, I mean, we'll, we'll even be nicer. We'll say, okay, violation of New Testament commandments. Whatever. The point is, violation of commandments. <laughs> violation of God's requirements for our active participation. Whoever continues in that way doesn't know him. So what can I, how can I flip it? I can know this, that whoever continues in sin doesn't know him. So how can I flip it? I can know this, that whoever doesn't continue in sin... The one who is consistently obedient knows him. Wow. So who ought to know him best on this planet? Orthodox Jews. Now that comes as a shock to some. That's like, that's impossible. They don't know the Messiah. How would they know him? They're trying to earn their way into heaven. Yeah, all those things are. Now, I'm not. Mi- I'm not minimizing. I'm not minimizing the importance. Actually, the the uh, precedence for knowing Messiah. I'm just saying. When it says no God, obeying Him is how you know Him. Well, it seems like you're doing showy things. I mean, we're zitzi, your head's covered, you're, yeah, you're, you're eating kosher all the time. That's, that's pretty showy. That's external. So you wouldn't equate that with it? What's the difference between that and First John, or excuse me, John, uh, excuse me, Matthew 7, 1, or 7, 6? Depart from me, I never knew the, you. The ones, the ones that, of which Jonathan speaks may have been good things to do, they consistently broke the Torah. Not only were they good things to do, but they were never commanded. Exactly. None of those were commanded. They're good things. So what did they come and brag about? Casting out demons. I cast out demons. I prophesied in your name. I healed the sick in your name. All great, wonderful things. Miraculous things. Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 1. If someone comes and says and does all these wonderful things and yet causes you to walk away from my commandments, don't listen to that one. They're a false prophet. I've sent them to test you. So, it seems a lot less inconse- a lot less consequential. Seed seed, I eat, I eat kosher. You know, it's like I, I'm I'm sure that you would not go before Yeshua and say, "By the way, I wear seed seed, I eat kosher," because he already knows that. Because <laughs> you know him, and he knows you. <laughs> That's right. So he said, "Depart from me, I never knew you." Because like, who are you people? I don't recognize you. And, and when, when the, I'm sorry. When the, wouldn't the obedient one say, I'm just an impossible servant? Exactly. I just did my duty. Only, it's like you didn't ask much of me. You didn't ask, yeah, uh, Luke chapter 11. It's like you didn't expect much of me. Yeah. 
or 17, Luke 17, you didn't expect much of me. I mean, you just asked me to do this stuff and to like try and act like you. And I, you know, I didn't do very well, but I did it. That's just my duty. What's the duty of man? Fear God and keep his commandments. Yeah. I'm an unprofitable student. What did I do? I didn't win all these people to you. I mean, I'm not a Billy Graham. <laughs> very easy sometimes for people to say they can do one thing really well, but it's like oftentimes oh, that's good, you hear a comment that would say something like, well, nice people, but there, there are lots of, lots of nice people in hell. In other words, the idea being that just because you express one aspect of Hashem's commandments and disregard all of the rest of them is a very serious problem. And in Matthew 7, Yeshua focuses on things like taking care of the sick, taking care of the poor, you know, meeting a lot of those physical needs. So when we look at when we look at the commandments of Hashem, um, what's cool about the verse 10 of chapter 3 is that the, 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 those who are children of God and children of the devil are obvious, they're manifest. Well, it's expressive in what they do, but it is a package thing. And actually, if you look at the men in this room, if you look at people who are righteous, you will see that others can see them for lots of reasons. They don't, they keep Shabbat. They, they eat kosher. They also are gracious with the people around them. They are fair in business dealings. They're modest. To a fault. They'll, they'll lose money over a deal. Exactly. They're modest to people of the opposite gender. And all of these different things, which you find... Is which are the weightier commandments. The last ones you mentioned, actually, are the weightier commandments of all. Yeah, and actually, so what ends up happening is, it is a package. A package of doing, not just believing. So, really, the moral of the story here is, we should all keep the and heal the sick and cast out... Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. No question about it. No question. And, and coming from this corner, not only is it expected, it's welcome. Yes. <laughs> well, I, but it, it is possible to do those, what's, the, the commandments that are expected of you, and, and to make them a showy effort, just like Yeshua said. Well, sure. I mean, you, they make their tefillin broad and their zitzi long, yes. Absolutely. Yeah, and I was picking on you simply because I knew that you would actually have a good response to that. So <laughs> i got to move on here, guys. 3.16, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us. How do I know what love is? This is what love looks like. He laid down his life for us. How do, I know that, how do we know that we're of the truth? Because we love indeed in truth. It's not just things that we say. They'll know that we are Christians by our love is that nice hippie, hippie song, but it didn't define what love was. All right? Love is defined in the Torah. Otherwise, cannibals love people. <laughs> They'll know us by our love. Love wasn't sitting by the fireside singing that song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. That, that's not what love That's not love. First yeah. uh, John three twenty four says, "We know that He abides in us by the Spirit, whom He has given us, and keeping His commandments shows we abide in Him." Really, really. Uh, we First John four two know the Spirit of God that confesses Messiah has come in the flesh. Now, knowing Messiah is important. That He come has come in the flesh. It's it's <laughs> actually a lot of the apostolic scriptures 
it's lucky it made in too. First uh, John four six. We know God hears by this. That's why I had to re- reinterpret it. Let's come up with a concept to explain this away. We know God hears by this. We know with the spirit of the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. We know God hears. That's something we know. He does hear. In the in the Shemona Esrei, in the Amidah that we pray daily, three three times a day, the Amidah it we call upon Him who hears and answers prayer. We believe it. We don't just believe it like we believe it. Uh, I I think He hears me. We believe it because we actually act as if when we ask, He'll bless. There's an expectation. It's like He has to. Why would, why would we do it? We what a waste of time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 4, 7, 3, 8. He, uh, he that loves is born of God and knows God. He who doesn't love does not God. You know this. 4, 13. By, this, by His Spirit we know he, that we dwell in Him. By His Spirit we know that we dwell in Him. 4, 16. We know the love of God. We know the love God has for us. We do know the love God has for us. If people doubt God's love, that's, there's, that's a huge problem. How can you doubt God's love? You know, I mean, even in the, misery, in the midst of your misery, you can always trace it back to, it's your fault or someone else's fault. It can't be his fault. Actually, it comes back, I love the very next sentence after what we said. Um, it says, God is love. In other words, we know that God loves us because he defines what love is. That's right. 5.2, by this we know by this we know when we love God and keep His commandments. We can know we have, we have eternal life. 5.13 You can know you have eternal life. How do you know you have eternal life? When you love God and keep His commandments. We know Him whom His true is 5.20 Alright, move on. You can really know God. How did Abram, uh, how did Abram know God? Uh, Genesis 15 1-15 through 15. And we're going to have to sum this up because we're running late. Genesis 15, 1 through 15. Somebody tell me what Genesis 15 is about. God appearing to Abram. We call it the covenant of the parts. Right? Chapter 12 of Genesis, it says, and God, and Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Okay? But when we get to, and he asks for a seed. But when we get to 15, 2, we actually get some concrete evidence of the knowledge that Abram had of God. That it was a knowledge, that it was a relationship and it was the covenant that made the relationship. I don't have a son. I don't have a son. I'm going to give you a son. Here's the promise that I'm going to give you a son. How can I know you're going to give me a son? Here's the promise. He'll have descendants for 400 years in, uh, 430 years in, in exile and then I'll bring him back here. That's the promise. Like, I'm sorry, that's not much of a promise to me. <laughs> I don't know from that Ah, Abram was a different kind of person. Because that, to him, was the ultimate... Of course he'll do it. And that's the relationship. That's it. Wow. I mean, for 430 years, this God is going to be fulfilling this promise to me. That's knowledge. Right? Yeah, that's pretty cool. Covenant is, is the principal means here. Uh, 22. How did Abram know God and Abraham know God in Genesis 22? What's Genesis 22? The Akedah. 
This is the offering or the binding of Isaac. Why is that? How does he know God here? Joshua, how does he know God here? <laughs> well, just uh, we, we, Hashem Yirah. Perfect example. When we start to see as he sees, uh, we perceive what he perceives. And, and that no, I mean, that's a clue. The, the key is really understanding that know, knowing God is really becoming one with what is true to him. God says something interesting, or the angel says something interesting for God. <coughs> After Abram uh, experiences all this, he says, Now I know that you a God-fearing man. It's like, what? God didn't know beforehand? You have to understand, God's not about concepts either. He's about action. Did God know Abraham's heart? Abraham's heart? Absolutely. But God expected to see it. And when he saw it, then he knew it. That's right. He knew it because he saw it. It was action. That's relationship. And we see in response, Abraham knows God by God's action. God's provision is where the name, you know, Hashem will provide or will be seen. It comes from. It's because God actually did something. He provided the ram as replacement for Isaac. Yeah, it's Yeraz Re'e, which is to be like manifest. It's like that's pretty profound when you think about it. Yeah. Um, Genesis uh, or Exodus three. What's happening in Exodus three? How does God know our sorrows? What does He say? This is the the burning bush experience. How does God know our sorrows in Egypt? How did He know it? I heard their cry. That's 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 intimate knowledge. Again, it's not that's that's experience. I heard their cry. It's like I, well, I knew this was going to happen. I said this was going to happen. It's God. It's God. No, I heard their cry. Okay. Exodus six. How are they going to know him? Remember, this is where Moses is saying, "Well, who am I going to who who am I going to say said is sent me to Israel?" And he says, he says, well. Before I've given you Abraham, I didn't reveal my name this way. Well, I, don't, I think that he knew his name, but not in this way. Somehow this, the tetragrammaton, the four letters, are somehow an intimate knowledge of God, which is why we treat it with such care. It's only for those on the inside. So we know through his holy name. Exodus 16, as we saw in the Zohar, they knew God through the manna. That's pretty cool. How? He provided for them. That's their belly. That's this land. That's the earth. That it came from heaven? That's like... Whoa. You know, and that's what the Zohar is like. Okay, so it fed them. They knew God. No, but they didn't know God the way that's like, where did it come from? It came from His hand? Inexplicable? That's knowledge. They ate it. In other words, it was something physical. It's not a concept. Yeah, I believe that. I saw it with my own eyes. Yeah, some other people is like, well, I didn't see it, but whatever you want to believe is fine. No, no. I ate it. Everybody ate it. Believe it if you want. I ate it. We all ate it. You got so sick of it. Well, yeah. <laughs> see, we can take it. We can take it. We, we, we can, we can make, it, make the holy common, too, unfortunately. Uh, profane, rather. Uh, Exodus 29. This is when, we, when, when he t- gives the commandment to build the tabernacle. What is the purpose? 
says, Betochem, among you, or in you. I want to dwell among you. You know, it's really great. We talked about this on Shabbat. You know, it's like really great, the idea that I am the temple of the... We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. N- nothing false about that. The problem is, that's not physical. And we are. God physically dwelt in the presence of Israel. That's knowledge. It's not a concept. You know, people say, well, I don't need the shadows anymore. I know Jesus. Do you really? When was the last you talked talk to him? Well, this morning. Did he talk back? Well, I felt like he was talking back to me. Sure. Really? I mean, I'm not, neg- I'm not negating that or arguing that, but my point is, did you hear him with his, your ears? More importantly, the person next to you hear, them, hear him too? Now, that would be different. That'd be something to write home about. That'd be something that's like writing in the sky. Right? That's an experience. Other than that, it's just your own personal little thing, which is great. That's not knowing. Knowing goes beyond just my feelings. I can see it. Remember how First John began? We saw. We touched. We tasted. We could sp- spread it out. We smelled. I mean, whatever. We were experienced of what? The Messiah himself. We know him because we were right there with him. Physically. It's interesting that causing the people to believe in God and in Moses forever. Because when you've got hundreds of thousands of people who see the fiery presence of God speaking and hear with their ears Him speaking to His servant Moses, mm. that's a knowledge you can't deny. That's right. And, and, that, and that's what makes the Sinai experience different than any other religion. Because most of the time it's one hothead who goes up on a hill or in a cave. Yeah, one guy. <laughs> Look, uh, you know, you know, I can't read or write, but here, you know, somebody else is going to write this stuff that I'm mumbling down and, you know, woo, holy book. Yeah. No, or I got it on golden plates. Whatever. (laughs) Or it came from, it came from uh, uh, Nimrod. Whatever. The point is, this is different. Totally different. Nobody, nobody is going to argue with the uniqueness of the Sinai experience. I hope. They're negated, diminish it, but they can't argue with it. Exodus 31. How do we know him? He says, by this, you'll, that you'll know that I'm the one that sanctifies you. I'm the one that sets you apart. How? Because you keep my Sabbath. Well, I mean, the Holy Spirit, does the Holy Spirit sanctify? Well, no question. But how does, how does, how does, how do we know that he sanctifies us by keeping the Sabbath? Leviticus 26. Know him. He walks among us. He says, I walk among you. This is after he's telling him, look, uh, you know, make sure the camp's not too nasty. Because remember, I walk among you. The Holy One of Israel walks among you. Not conceptually. Physically. Walks among you. He started thinking about it. It's like, you know, it's not just a concept that we shouldn't take our humash into the bathroom with us. That's not a concept. That's a recognition of the Holy One of Israel walks among us. Okay, we don't see Him. But He does walk among us. Can we really know Him? Deuteronomy 4. 3. Tell me what this one is, somebody. 4.33-39. You don't have to read it, just tell me what it is. 
Did any other people hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of fire? That's what we were talking about before. Yeah. Did, did God ever go and try and take for himself a nation from the midst of another nation by trial, signs, or wonders, by war, by a mighty hand, and outstretched arm, and great terrors, according to all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown that you would know him. Israel was shown their deliverance from Egypt so that they would know him. Someone else was shown the deliverance from Egypt so they would know God as well. The Egyptians. Pharaoh. All those mighty wonders which were to know that he was who he said he was and his was his people and he was taking them for his own possession. He was a creator. God of the universe. Deuteronomy 12, 32 through uh, 3, 4. What else? How else do we know? He knows us and so he tests us for obedience. Yep. Don't add to, don't take away. And if anybody comes and says, well, that's not for us anymore, they're a false prophet. I, look, I've told you ahead of time. Miracles, whatever, don't follow them. Why did, I, why did I let this people come? Because I wanted to test you to see if you loved me and feared me. Which is amazing. It's amazing that anybody ever did it and thought they could get away with it. It's right there in the Torah, man. <laughs> look, rip it out of your Bible if you don't want to do it. <laughs> The difference is, yeah, absolutely. It's like, okay, signs and wonders, whoop de doo You know, it's great. So? Yeah. He's in man of lawlessness. Okay, so the devil can do stuff too. whoop de doo Okay, so great. You healed all those people, but you're a man of lawlessness. Oh, no, I'm not following you. What, just because I eat pork? Okay, so it may be a little thing to you, but God said don't do it. And if you were God, if you were God's true servant, you would actually think that was a... It's not hard not to do it, promise. So you're intentionally disobeying him. So it doesn't matter where your power comes from, I'm not following you. That's pretty easy. You may not have time to address this, but how, how does that marry up or work with the scripture? Um, you don't keep the commandments and teach others to do likewise. You'll be least in the heaven. Matthew, Matthew 5, yeah. Well, because it sounds like they're in. in, in. The issue being, I think it's what I mentioned earlier. Who are following around? The, the, the package deal aspect. In other words, um, I think everyone has elements in their lives that unfortunately do not measure up completely. And of course. in that respect, your place, as it were, in the kingdom of heaven does shift. You know, I mean, I, we each have areas we're working on. Areas, you know, whether it be Lashon Rah, speaking evil of somebody, whether it be, you know, telling the truth, it could be, or in some cases, it might be what you eat. The point, though, is it comes down to things. Um, it comes down to it does come down to the lifestyle approach. And I think that what we're getting at with this is that um, when you've got people who have a lifestyle of denying Hashem, then it doesn't matter what great miracles or achievements, and that's actually what you see. How many times do you see a televangelist type character healing people left and right, and then he gets arrested because he was, you know, embezzling money or he was, you know, raping someone or whatever else? I mean, when you get that. That kind of person clearly was not a servant of God. They were a servant of the enemy using spiritual powers that don't come from God. Ironically, those people you could have spotted in a second without even knowing their private lives. Just follow where they go to eat. You'll know it. That's pretty remarkable when you think about it. That's really good. We got like a... Look, the easy stuff is easy. It is. Look, if they can't do the easy stuff, I can promise there's some stuff behind the scenes 
that's not so easy, temptations that they may be engaging in as well. On the flip side, to your point, King David is a man after God's own heart. He walked the walk. Mm-hmm. And yet there were times in his life course, yeah. where he clearly violated those commands. Most grave disobedience. Absolutely. A righteous man falls seven he did not. times. Yes, a righteous man falls seven times and times gets up. Actually, I think he knew that one. <laughs> yeah. He learned after that. Yeah, he learned not to do it that way, yeah. He definitely picked up on that one later. Psalms 910. Psalms 9:10. We know him, know his name, that he doesn't forsake. And uh, Jeremiah 24. I'm going to read this one. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Like good figs, so I will acknowledge those who are carried away captive from Judah, whom I have sent out of this place for their own good, into the land of the Chaldeans. For I will set my eyes on them for good, and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them and not pull them down. I will plant them and not, pl- and not pluck them up. Then I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people. I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. Ultimately, how do we know God? He wants to be known. And he causes us to know Him. The little steps that we take, the baby steps, the really seemingly inconsequential things of, okay, so the little commandments I know, the easy stuff, I can do that. How not to covet? That's hard, God. He says, do the easy stuff. Walk with me this way. He's going to do the work that ultimately causes us to know Him. He rewards. Which is why you know when the televangelist following where and where to eat. Look, if you can't do the easy stuff, then obviously you're not going to be rewarded in the big stuff either. One little example here. It's interesting. I don't know. Most people may have seen the stories, but there was a movie actually, Leap of Faith, where Steve Martin plays a televangelist and he does all these miracles that he can achieve. But you watch the very beginning. He's lying. He's cheating breaking the law. He's doing all these little things that are really portraying a, a lifestyle of disobedience. And it didn't matter whether or not he could tell the police officer what his daughter's name was. It mattered the fact that he was caught speeding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> i got to read the next one too. Jeremiah 31, 33-34. But this is the covenant. I want you to pay attention to this passage, by the way. This passage is quoted often. You've quoted it yourself, probably. If you've memorized it, you've at least read it, right? But remember the ultimate in here, in this passage, is not the covenant. The covenant is a means to an end. The covenant, the new covenant, is inconsequential when compared to the goal. Listen to the goal. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. Look at the progression. It doesn't have to be a progression, but look at the progression. 
I'll cause them to walk in my statutes. To, I'll put my law in their hearts. I'll cause them to walk in my statute. To keep my commandments. And they'll all know me. All of them. From the least to the greatest. And that did not happen at a Passover supper in Matthew chapter 26. It didn't. This new covenant may have been prophesied by Moses on the plains of Moab in Deuteronomy chapter 30 through 32. And it may have been prophesied by, by, uh, by Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And it may have been prophesied by Yeshua in Matthew chapter 26. But we have not seen it. The new covenant is only available in thought and concept form. You can know that you're there when you know Him the way that it's described here. All of us. The least to the greatest. Israel and Judah. There ain't no goy in there. There's no Gentiles listed here. So whether you... Um, I'm not suggesting you go through conversion. That's not at all my, my point. We need to be attached to Israel somehow. Or we will not have a part in this covenant. There's only one already hmm? I've converted. There you go. Eternal life. John chapter 17, 3. Yeshua says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and your Messiah, whom you have sent. That's eternal life. To know Him. Eternal life, we talked about this when we did the life topic. Eternal life is not a destination. It's not a re- it is a reward in a way, but that's not the point of it, right? It's not a reward. It's to know God. Which means you don't get eternal life you have it in the present tense. If you know God, you have eternal life now, not later. First <laughs> John, John two, three through six. We know if we know him if we keep his commandments. That's pretty pretty like, okay, I know him, but I don't obey him. Oh, well, no, you don't know him. You're fooling yourself. First John four seven, we can know the truth and error by how love is evident in our obedience to God's commandments. No is a relationship. Right? Hosea 2. And I have to read this and then we're almost finished, guys. Hosea 2, 19 through 20. If you practice, uh, if you go through the exercise of laying tefillin, putting on tefillin for morning prayers, um, then you know this verse, maybe either in English or Hebrew, by heart. Because it's what you say as you wrap three times around the ring finger. This is God speaking to us. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice and loving kindness and mercy. What are those words? What are those words? Righteousness, justice, loving kindness and mercy. What are those? But what I mean, what, what is the definition of those words? All as a group. That, that is, well, and it's keeping the commandments. Right? That's the way he defines keeping the commandments. I will betroth you to me in righteousness, justice, loving kindness, and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. Faith and works are intertwined, inseparable. And you shall know God. And you shall know Hashem. It's His, it's his action that causes us to know Him. What's our duty? I'm just doing my duty. 
You tell me what to do. It's easy stuff. The hard stuff takes me longer, God. But I'll do the easy stuff. Work with me on the harder stuff. Unbelief. But laying on tefillin. Wrapping around the ring finger. Seven times around the, the, uh, the weak arm, the forearm. Seven times is the, is the image. It's not just an image. It's not a concept. It's the actual thing a bride does around her bridegroom when they're wed. Seven times. Wrapping around the ring finger. It's a betrothal, a promise. What we're doing when we put on tefillin, we are physically expressing a deep marriage-like relationship with God. Seems inconsequential. So ritual. What benefit do I get out of a ritual? I'm reminded every single time I do it. Well, there's prayers that go along with it, but I'm reminded every single time I do it. And reciting that from Hosea reminds me I'm in a intimate relationship with God that is expressed in how I live in every little thing that I do in relationship to what He's asked me or commanded me to do. If I can't do the easy stuff, then I'm denying that I really have that relationship. And in the doing the easy stuff, the simple commands that He tells me to do, in the doing that, I actually fortify my relationship with Him. I can actually say it's easy, whereas most people, your friends maybe at other places may say, oh no, we can't do it, it's too hard. Well, I hope you know differently. <laughs> when you start doing it, you go, well, this is easy. Come on, give me some hard stuff. They're pretty surprised when you say that. <laughs> it's not merely nice words. It's an intimate relationship expressed in persistent evidence. It's like marriage. You can't just say it. I can't just keep my picture of my wife. I can't just say nice words or, honey, I love you. You're beautiful today. I have to act upon it. Right? Can you mow the lawn? Well, no, I won't, but I'll get someone else to do it for us. Um, can, I, can, I, uh, can you fix the garage door? Whatever, right? But I think that notion of, you know, we can't do that anymore. You know, no one can keep the law. It's, you know, too hard, whatever, however you want to characterize that sentiment. It seems to me that it's, that thought is, is born out of the confusion, really, of right, justification yes. versus righteousness. That's right. Because, yes, none of us can keep Perf- or perfectly, um, but that's keeping it perfectly is not... It never was... It's not required. No. It's to, with your whole heart, you know, continuously make an effort to keep Listen, I understand that notion. I understand where people are coming from when they say things like that. And just, you know, a good response is just simply say, you know, it it might be hard thinking about it, so why don't you just get started and let me know how it works out? If you get started, maybe you'll figure out maybe it's not impossible. The Zohar says, of course I have to end it this way, and I'll take for you to you... I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God. This is the first of all commandments, the root of all precepts of the Torah, the knowledge of God in a general way. Namely, that there is a supernal ruler, the Lord of the universe and of all life, creator of heaven and earth and all their hosts. Because you understand what it's talking about? Creation, you know of God in a general way, right? Isn't that way most people say, well, look, that's normally the approach to... uh, to, to, um, um, 
the knowledge of what is true, right? Basically, a pillar of philosophy is like, I have to know what's true, and how do I know I know what's true? Okay, well, one of them is like, well, look outside. You know, there's creation. Obviously, there is a God. General revelation. revelation. Here's the Zohar says, that sounds like that's, that's, that's the first step, right? And the Zohar says, no. But this general knowledge of God must lead to a particular knowledge of him. This is the inner meaning of the, of the man being male and female together. And he's quoting from Genesis. When the Israelites were about to come out of Egypt, they had no knowledge of the Holy One, blessed is he. And Moses had to teach them the first principle of divine knowledge. Without this doctrine, they would have not believed in all those signs and wonders which they were about to experience. At the end of the 40 years in the desert, after having been instructed by Moses in all the commandments, both in those which are directly connected with the Holy Land and those which are not, he taught them as an individual, the particular way, the knowledge of God, as it said, Know therefore to this day, and consider it in thine heart, that the Lord, he is God in heaven above and on the earth below. And there is none other. That Hashem, that's specifically the Tetragrammaton, his name, is God, that he is Elohim. That is the particular aspect of cognition. It's the particular knowledge, the deep knowledge, the name. Right? This particular mode of knowledge is essential, essentially identical with the general concept of God as creator and Hashem. Should the question arise, is not fear of the Lord the beginning of wisdom? From Proverbs 7, 1-7. Isn't that the first commandment? The answer would be that the fear of the Lord, which is connected with the commandments, must precede the second. You want to understand him as the creator and the king, general knowledge? Obey him. That is commandments out of simple fear. That's backwards. We usually say as little as he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you want to step out and walk this way, don't wait, don't make that be the last thing that you do. Make that be the first thing you do. And that was from the Solar, right? Yes. Um, and interesting enough, Proverbs 1.7 actually says that Virat Hashem is the beginning of knowledge. That's right. And in other passages, Yada. Psalms and yeah. it says That's true. Said so, so. So the the fear of the Lord, that is the keeping of His commands, must precede the second, the particular grade of knowledge. Although, of course, one has to fear the Lord even before one has an intellectual knowledge of Him in His revelational individual aspects. Thus, the ultimate and whole duty of man is to know the Holy One, blessed be He, in a general and a particular way, that He is King, that He created it all. That's the ultimate. How do I learn that best? He said, I should do this and I will. Isn't that interesting? It's exactly the opposite of what traditional religion does, which first sets out the scope of, you need to understand the whole conceptual thing, and eventually you'll rise to the level of being able to obediently carry out the precepts of our religion. The Zohar turns it around, and actually Proverbs turns around and says, no, the fear of the Lord's first. Obey him first. Simple stuff. Like again, I'm talking about the evangelist, televangelist, that you could just follow him to the restaurant. No. Simple stuff. If you can't do the easy stuff, then obviously we got a problem. Start with the easy stuff. God will reveal himself in the general. So maybe it's the wrong tack to people to tell people, it's like, oh, obviously there's a God. They're looking out there going, no, that doesn't prove anything. Start them keeping the commandments. Then they'll look out there and go, obviously there's a God. He's king. Right? Some. 
on the outside consider obedience to the commandments as the absence of an intimate relationship. Sadly, I've heard people, people I love even, describe a visit to what they would call the Wailing Wall, the Kotel. Do anybody know what's not called the Wailing Wall? Why it's not called the Wailing Wall. On June 7th, 1967, the Kotel was freed, and in Jewish hands, it no longer is a place of weeping, but a place of rejoicing. God forbid it ever become a wailing wall again. That's right. I have heard lovely people describe going to the Kotel, the wailing wall as they would cry, and say, these people are just sad and crying and they're so careful about everything they do, but they lack an intimate relationship with God. Now, we can, we can have a honest criticism of certain things that people do, including those who would be at the wailing wall. But one thing we can't say is when they are stepping out and making every attempt to keep His commandments, that they don't have a knowledge or an intimate knowledge of Him. It's the opposite. We understand that an intimate knowledge of Him is seen in a submissive response to a loving king. Instead of obedience being a mere sign of our relationship, it can lead. It's not just a sign. We talk about that all the time. Well, if you, if you know him, you'll, you'll obey him. That's true. But it's not just a sign of our relationship. It actually strengthens the relationship. As we saw in our quote from the Zohar, or, and from Proverbs, starting with the little things, the easy stuff, actually can build you up in the knowledge of God. Here's from Proverbs Proverbs uh, 1.7. The fear of Hashem, the fear of Adonai, is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Final comments? Good. That's right. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. So the seed is Yeshua, and so why did he come again? I think he helped us rehearse that in this wonderful he, he, first of all, with, without, without his corporate work on our behalf, we cannot be his people, ultimately. We have to have his presence. Without his individual work, we can't have a corporate work. In other words, his individual work is somehow my sin, my disobedience ultimately must be dealt with. Ultimately, if he's going to walk among his people persistently, as Hebrews uh, 10 and 11 teaches us, or 9 and 10 teach us, he has to have something that doesn't have to be renewed every year with with the blood of bulls and goats, the temple, the tabernacle. He needs his people to be like him. Sinless. So individually I need his work, but corporately. And, that, and the, biggest, the biggest danger in our referencing of his individual work is that we forget the corporate aspect. Why did he come back when he did, some 2,000 years ago, and do that? It's like, where, where did that fit in time? How does that work? Why not do it at the end of time? Obviously it has no, has no ongoing benefit for me right now. 
individually. I mean, knowledge is good, faith is good, but how do I experience a perfectly redeemed life? Sinless. I I don't experience that. So his work on my behalf individually was to make me a part of the corporate experience, which is what's coming. Does that make sense? Is that I mean, was that where you're going, or you want? Yeah, I mean, you know, um, otherwise, what we're left with is the, um, the, the false notion that uh, presence in the Lama Ba is compensation no. for practicing righteousness. Not at all. That's we have to be careful. And in the context, especially of our love for Orthodox Jews, when we talk about knowledge and intimacy. Um, that we don't negate the mess- messianic aspect. Well, yeah, that, that him, the person. Yes. Had to include the word of the cross. Absolutely. For which he was beaten five times. Yep. And stayed in their fellowship and kept speaking it as he was beaten. Yeah. So our love of them must include obviously that magnification of his perfect obedience, because of course no one seeks God. Absolutely. I want to go back earlier. I guess it is important to point out that we don't just. I don't think we have the power to choose God. The Bible says no one sees we don't. God. No. no. One, it's not that, not only do they not, but they cannot. They, can't, they do not because they cannot. I agree. So unless they were reborn first, then there's not going to be any choosing God, trusting in the blood of Yeshua. And I guess one thing I'm struggling with, um, in general, maybe somebody can please pipe in here, but, you know, we... The, the obedience that in this wonderful discussion previous as well, I mean, we're trusting in the perfect obedience of our sinless substitute. And so this is the fruit of trusting in his perfect obedience, right? Is that wrong? I, no, I don't think that's wrong, but I don't I don't think that's all. Okay. And that and I think the danger, Alex, is that when we think that's all it's all about. Yeah. In other words, it's only evidence. In other words, my fruit's just it's just fruit, evidence of my faith. We elevate faith to the ultimate. And the evidence is simply secondary. And I don't think God acts that way. If you look at scripture, God's always acting. God knows everything. He knows our hearts. But he's always acting how God, uh, how man acts. How man behaves. Not how he, how man in his heart. You know, it's like so-and-so has hatred in his heart. But it's when he acts on that hatred that then God steps in and there's retribution. It's a temporal realm, right? Same thing with righteousness. So, but but it's it is evidence of our faith, yeah. but it's not just evidence of our faith, and that's one of the things that I wanted to show is our obedience is actually, you know, and I and I don't want to put the cart before the horse. Obviously, God is ultimately in charge of it all, but the point is, we demonstrate, we we agree with Him and His action on our part when we step out and do what He says. The sequence is unimportant, and that's my and that's my point here. Is the sequence is unimportant? Theologically, I totally agree with your point, but you and I aren't there. We're not in that perspective where we're where we're from the eternal, looking down on Alex and Rick and saying, "Well, should I move first or should they move first? <laughs> we don't see that. What do we see? What's my duty? That's what it says. What's my duty? Yeah. 
I should act upon it. I don't go, well, is God working in me to make me do... Right, right. He, he is. He is, but it's immaterial. Yeah, me... my, my duty is to act. His duty is... His, his, loving, his loving action on my part is to make it all happen for me. But it's my duty to act. Let me, let me see if I can put this in perspective. When, when you said, we need to remember that they can't do that unless God regenerates them. Right. And I thought to myself, I don't need to worry about that. No. As the Zohar says, I don't need to start out there. I need to start by being obedient. It is impossible for me to desire to be obedient unless he has already quickened me. It is. And that's that, not my responsibility. How quickened am I? Quickened under redemption? It's immaterial. That's right. Because the ultimate goal is that's his job. If I have the desire, then something's already happened. God's already done that's right. working. Absolutely. And I don't question, I need to praise Him for that, and I need to bless Him for that, and I need to recognize that. But this whole conversation is completely immaterial for the one He hasn't quickened. Because there is no one who seeks after God. No, there is no none. one who desires yep. to be obedient to the words of God exactly. unless He has done, at least started to do a work in their heart. Yep. And we need to pray that He would bring that work to completion. You and I are on different paths... Let me put that. Let me rephrase that. You and I are on the same path at different stages. You're way ahead of me. Thank you. But here, <laughs> I'm not being facetious. In in that walk, we recognize that we're at different places. You know things I don't know. You've experienced things that I haven't experienced. You're gracious enough to accept that as long as we're on that same path, we're good. Here's the here's the. I don't know if this is the answer you're looking for, but let me attempt to answer it. That religious Jew who earnestly is seeking God with all his heart does not know who Messiah is by name. He's been taught erroneously. I recognize he's on the path with with us. That's all I'm saying. I recognize he's on the path. Is he ahead of me or behind me? You know, I'm not playing the math. Because I, I believe that God... Because I believe, just like Joseph said, I believe that God has quickened our hearts to walk down that path. And the goal is to know Him and to be in His presence. And when He gets there, we'll all be in exactly the same spot. You know, I can't explain it, and honestly, I've struggled with this question too. Where, where do I draw the line? And I tell you where I draw the line. The land, the seed, the land, the seed... And a people. And it's why I feel so strongly about people cutting off Gentiles and saying, oh no, the things of the Torah are only for Jews. And the reason why is because I believe, no, he wants to attach Gentiles is what he says. Amen. I think one of the things I've been really contemplating on is the importance of all the nations and all of Israel that gave heed that Shema, that obeyed, that listened and obeyed the voice of God through the anointed one, Moshe Harim. Now, there were people who came up throughout the Midbar, throughout the wilderness, the desert, that didn't reject necessarily God's Torah and all of these things. That's true. But he re- they rejected Did Moses. The That's right, they objected Moses. And so in the same way, we have to realize You're very right. that rejecting his Torah 
is if you reject his anointed one, you are rejecting in a way the Torah because the Torah says that you're supposed to believe in God That's and tr- in his, his anointed one. Okay. And in a, a, absolutely, absolutely. And so, with regards to the anointed one, Yeshua, it goes the ultimate. That m- ultimately, if there isn't a recognition of the anointed one, I agree. One, it is, and Yeshua himself said that. Uh, well, I agree. If you reject Messiah Yeshua, you reject. Oh, I agree. I that's agree. That's where Jew and Gentile have to come together. And again, I, I repeat, I really like that. The seed, the land, and the people. Mm. That's the gospel. We have to have all those three. One, especially starting with the seed, who is the Messiah. goal. But without leaving out, and that's the idea, is that we have replacement a lot. We have that somehow the Torah is bearing place. Or somehow the land's been replaced. Living a certain way, then you can replace Messiah. That's right. Yep. Or by creating a nice place where you live, you replace the land. Yep. Um, there's so many different things, so we have to be really aware that you can't have one without the other. Yeah. Ultimately, are we on the journey? Is this the time where we're given that none should perish? Perish. That'd be wonderful. Is true. But we should remember that with that hope, and yet speak it with that truth. Uh, the idea of the seed, would you, uh, in, in this very same book, um, uh, the scripture says that he who has the son has the father also. He doesn't have the son, doesn't have the father. How, how are we to understand that in light of our other Jewish brothers that are on the path with us, but don't? Don't have faith in the side. No, no, I agree. I agree. I, you see what you did? Uh, <laughs> this is not the first time I was. I agree. Again, I'm just going to have to go back to this. The, the only thing I can, in my mind, the only explanation I can come up with is there's a path that we're on, and we're all at different, different stages on it. And, and where we are in those stages, listen, I, when, I, when I know, I know that there are some in the Orthodox community that aren't on that path. I know that there are some that are on that path that are probably way ahead of me. I'm not keeping the math, though. And I don't think God is. I think what He wants is the goal. Because anywhere along the path doesn't count until we get there. And that's to know Him. And I think that going back to the whole lesson, talking about the lesson of obedience and doing, um, brings us back to how it affects us. Theologically, I think we're all on the point of the, the Messiah has to be has to be accepted, the Yeshua. We are all on the same point on obedience to Hashem as a necessity. And we all can theologically appreciate where you have to be to be a part of the kingdom. But how does that affect me today? How that affects me today is that I want to be obedient to Hashem because that's the foundation of a relationship with Hashem. Knowing and accepting the Messiah is also part of that relationship. And I want others to be in that same place. So if someone denies Messiah Yeshua, I want them to accept Messiah Yeshua, not because I'm somehow going to be the one that will save them, but, but if nothing else, at the very least, because that's a, full ex- a fuller expression of a relationship with Hashem. You know, how I can characterize where Hashem will put them at the end because of, you know, what He will do in their life from when I meet them and when they die, I don't know. That's not my responsibility. My responsibility right now is to see, okay, you are keeping Shabbat excellent. You're not keeping kosher. Let's talk about this because there's a broader part of your relationship. You know, you understand the Torah, but you're denying Messiah. Here's a, here's a fuller expression of Hashem's person. You know, whatever it may be, 
you accept Messiah, and you're denying the whole first two-thirds of the Bible. Let's talk about this. Ultimately, it's not about me deciding who gets in and who doesn't get in. It's about me saying, our goal, why we're in this life, is to know Hashem. And if you don't know Hashem, or if I don't know Hashem as full as we could, and none of us know Him completely, then let's get there together. Uh, I don't have the letter with me, but... uh, uh, Rav Ufam's email to <laughs> several of us in a group. Excellent. Perfect. Perfectly explains. Maybe you would be so nice as to send that to all the men. Your email from Texas. You said, greetings from the promised land was your first statement. <laughs> uh, it was It was absolutely, it, 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 it perfectly expressed the way that I feel. Yeah, it perfectly expressed it, and 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 n- not to take him out of context because a lot of every people, not everybody heard this. But Greg's response was, "We focus on a certain thing in this class because we, as men, want to live righteous lives. It's not to deny that there is something other in our in our relationship with God. And in particular, we talk about." Uh, um, uh, for instance, sharing the gospel with others or, or speaking of uh, Messiah's work on our behalf or any, any one, number of those things. We focus, because of the nature of Sadiqim, we focus on uh, uh, laser-like focus on actually learning things that cause us to act differently. It's not to negate. And I know, and I, you, we, we all struggle with these same things. I mean, you're not alone. This issue of how we relate to Orthodox Jews and this, how do we wrap our craniums around this, this idea that uh, many of them, not all, I mean, you know, they're just like... They're just like, humans, yeah. Right? So there's bad apples in that bunch that are just going through the motions and whatever, just like there are you know, lots of those in the church and whatnot, right? But, but the, the remnant in Orthodox Judaism that is, that is keeping the Torah wholeheartedly they absolutely love God just as much as you and I love God. And for a whole host of reasons, they don't recognize the person of the Messiah, right? And so yeah. how do we how do we you know how do we wrap our hands around that given that we know who the Messiah is and and I don't really know the answer, but but I come back to the promise that is given over and over through it from beginning to end, which you know Shaul uh, some you know kind of sums it up in Romans when he says, "Look, all Israel will be saved," and all your people are that's righteous. a promise, and and you're not going to do that, and I'm not going to do that, and he's not going to do that. Right. I mean, if somehow we're fortunate enough to play some small role. But ultimately, it will be God that brings. That's going to be the miracle, man. That's going to be the one. Knowledge of Messiah Yeshua, and we have no idea how He's going to do it or when He's going to do it. But But He's going to do it. Assured that He will do it. Amen. Amen. I'm, we're going long, but it's not my fault. I was just going to say, if we take a break, it's not my fault. Talk about when God's going to do that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that, that Shaul actually speaks of this in terms of a mystery. Yes. He wouldn't talk about it in terms of a mystery if it wouldn't be this 
thing that people would eventually get mixed up with or lose track of or lose focus and sight of and meaning and definition because it's a mystery and you have to treat it with the delicacy in which it's actually presented. The last thing is uh, some acquaintances in Israel were sitting in a cafe, two Hasidic men were sitting there and speaking in Hebrew and one was telling the other I don't even know the expression, but it was, there is an immeasurable amount of evidence that there's no way that Yeshua isn't the Messiah. And they're having this conversation, two Hasidic men, the other one's just kind of scratching his head, and the other one's saying, it's, it's right there. It's, there we, can't, we can't deny it anymore. And so God is doing something that goes beyond us. We should expect it. We should live it out. We should live it out with our lives and with our mouths, right. but in Love. unity with what is true in God, to see what God sees because we know Him, we fear Him, and we love Him. Amen. That's a great place to stop. <laughs> <laughs>